0: Hey crew, Mark Hatmaker here, coming to you for the Comancheria. Today, let's talk a little bit about indigenous water survival. Now, we're not going to get into some nitty gritty uh, how to's. Well, maybe a few here and there, but it's primarily an overview because this topic is vast. And we're talking not just indigenous, we can go back in some historical context. We'll be covering some of that as well. So, all my battle axe warriors and indigenous warriors, and uh, just people just love a good uh, Hale and Hardy uh, spec warrior. Stay tuned. Now, uh, we human beings have an intimate relationship with H2O. I mean, 65% of our body weight is water. The salinity of human blood is remarkably similar to the salinity of the ocean, all right? The human possesses the mammalian dive reflex, which can be triggered by merely plunging your face into a sink of chilly water. See, once the face is submerged, signals travel along the trigeminal and vagus nerves to the central nervous system, spawning a lowering of the metabolic rate. The pulse slows down and blood rushes to where it may be needed most, which is the heart and brain. Uh, The mammalian dive reflex is responsible for our ability to hold our breath and swim readily in our infant stage. I mean, we've seen this. You know, you can toss young kids in. We're going to wonder how they're doing swimming around like wonderful. Uh, it's just gorgeous. If you take a look at Nirvana's album cover of uh, Nevermind, you see the young child there chasing the <laughs> a dollar bill dangling from the string. You know exactly what I'm talking about. This is just a natural ability that we have from the very beginning, and we gradually I can lose it unless we start you know, jumping on and using it. It doesn't mean you can never reclaim such a, uh, uh, an ability uh, to be comfortable in water. It just lets you know that we, as opposed to many other mammals, just simply aren't hooked up that way. We have, uh, in a sense, essence, a superpower that, well, for example, wolves don't have, tigers don't have. So in that sense, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Think about this. We flock to beaches and rivers and lakes and pools and recreational waters uh, of all kinds to relax, refresh, and, well, to recreate. I mean, even if we don't swim or whatever, we're just naturally attracted to move off to such things. You know, on one hand, because, you know, water means life, and it means that's where you're going to find a way to quench your thirst and and such. But we also just realize life, we, we have a huge part of ourselves that want to interact with it. The vast majority of human society sprang up along shorelines. In fact, a quick look at the globe shows that even with the ability to open a tap and get water practically anywhere you live, the vast majority of humanity still clusters around and along waterways. Look at all your major cities. Uh, Look at the shorelines. There's going to be rivers. It's going to be oceanside. Indigenous cultures the world over have had rituals, games, training regimens, and that training's in square, uh, scare quotes, because a lot of so-called training, uh, for indigenous cultures and in early historical culture was just standard games. They're all meant to always mock and mimic battle or prep- uh, preparation phases. And now our preparation is usually just, you know, you know, video, game, video games. Um, these training regimens that centered around aquatic ability were just incredibly common. The ancient Hellens, the Greeks, were a fishing culture. I mean, look at that, it's just uh, what is uh, ancient Greece, or Greece now, just a series of islands. Uh, a fishing culture, there's a, there's, the record shows numerous impressive feats of necessity in and under the water. There are more than a few Viking accounts that refer to water training specific to battle, uh, among them stealth swimmers, and this is really remarkable stuff, and if you recreate some of this, it's, a, it's great training stuff too. Uh, referring to those who could remain submerged for lengths of time to bore holes in the holes of ships. There is also an amazingly exhausting uh, training practice that were done then. We've, I think we've included them in uh, some of our black box training materials and we got a few more coming up including Viking sprints and uh, numerous river tribes including those in the north and southeastern United States, Pacific Northwest, valued water prowess and encouraged lengthy and arduous swimming to make better hunters and warriors and better aid one's survival if one must use a river or Lake for escape. There's even tales of uh, how many we uh, will use the Apache, for example. I mean, you, this is not, this is pretty much an arid desert region, and you know, yet still we find uh, the absolute insistence on doing some sort of water training. And this is, uh, when you think about it, it's just remarkable to think about how far-reaching, how far-thinking, how encompassing uh, th- this way, to, attention to detail, attention to possible battlefronts is. Now, the present-day Ama of Japan and the Moken of the Miraguay archipelago are but two of the extant cultures that still place a high value in aquatic ability. They are noted for their agile freediving and remarkable hunting dexterity underwater. I think you probably look at one of our blog references. We talk about hacking visual acuity, the sea gypsy way. And in case I can put that into easier terms, it's talking about how you don't necessarily always have to have a face mask to see well. And there's a way that they were doing it. And eventually scientists got in there and said, what are you doing? And they weren't able to really explain it because they just did it naturally. And they eventually were able to duplicate it. And hell, you and I can do this if we want. But, you know, have a look at that blog entry, hacking visual acuity, the sea gypsy way. It's just remarkable. Now, the indigenous accounts go beyond mere, hey, let's make sure the youngsters can swim. We can find accounts of demanding breath holds, long swims up and downstream while manipulating loads. I mean, we're talking about shooting rapids without canoes and kayaks or bullboats as rites of passage or simply to have a good time. Hell, I've done that sort of thing. Many of you likely have as well. And to uh, actually really get deep into this culture, that's why I pursued my own uh, free diving certification, just to really get a handle on me. It's one thing to read about it or listen to someone like me yak, yak, yak about it. Everything is, like I said, it's always the doubles and the details. The, uh, the, the education is the experience, just not hearing it and reading it. Now, in uh, cultures where water is scarce, we still find the reports of the long runs and crawls to the rivers and streams that do exist, miles and miles of fast-paced struggles against knee-deep waters. As I mentioned, the Apache just being one uh, example of who still find creative ways to make water part of the arduous training. Now, the early emphasis on interacting with water was with an eye on survival first, just as with today making sure that one could swim. But once that was accomplished, it went further. The individual was uh, inured to additional water stressors of unusual kinds, what would be called in today's SEAL training parlance, quote, drown-proofing, unquote. Necessity initially drove humans to exceptional water ability. We're talking fishing, sh- uh, shore foraging, diving for food and resources, fun. You know, kept them there in the water because water is what you feel comfortable in. It's just amazingly fun and relaxing. War and or escape created additional aquatic necessity. A century ago, finding someone, and this is in the U.S., these are uh, these are self-reported surveys. A century ago, in this nation, finding someone who could not at least swim was practically unheard of. Today, over half of Americans self-report as being unable to swim at all. Of those who can, they self-report that they can't swim the full length of a pool, which, in a sense, might not actually be swimming yet. That might just be uh, not drowning immediately. The definition of swimming has downgraded to brief comfortability in the deep end. you got to think about that. It's actually remarkable. And if you're one of my non-swimming compadres out there, this isn't a knock to you. uh, you're, You're in a a huge contingent it's a growing population but it might be something we might really need to think about and address Uh, not just because from a survival aspect i don't want to be everything have to be doer and grim all the time but there's an amazing amount of resources and fun to be had and let alone the fact that uh, we can we move a little bit of anxiety from the soul we uh, we bite off a bit uh, larger chunks of life chew and swallow with a plume so let's be those folks right Now, uh, today, outside of the Yama and Mokin cultures and such cultures as that, most of our survival swimmers are found in modern warrior correlates, such as the aforementioned seals. But let's allow a lengthy excerpt from Sebastian Younger's The Perfect Storm to give us a taste of the difference between being able to splash around in the shallow end of the pool and being able to engage with water with a vengeance. All right, this again comes from Younger's The Perfect Storm. Quote, all of the armed forces have some version of the pararescue jumper, but the Air National Guard jumpers and their air. Force equivalents, parachute jumpers, a.k.a. PJs, are the only ones with an ongoing peacetime mission. It takes 18 months of full-time training to become a PJ. During the first three months of training, candidates are weeded out through sheer raw abuse. The dropout rate is often over 90%. In one drill, the team swims swims their normal 4,000-yard workout, and then their instructor tosses his whistle into the pool. Ten guys fight for it, and whoever manages to blow it at the surface gets to leave the pool. His workout is over for the day. The instructor throws the whistle in again, and the nine, uh, nine remaining guys fight for it again. It sounds like a battle royale, doesn't it? Back to younger. This goes on until there's only one man left, and he's kicked out of P.J. school. In a variation called water harassment or water harassment, two swimmers share a snorkel while instructors basically try to drown them. If either man breaks the surface and takes a breath, he's out of school. Quote, there were times we cried, unquote, amidst one PJ, but, uh, quote, they've got to thin the ranks somehow, unquote. Now, still continuing on with Younger here. After pre-training, as it's called, the survivors enter a period known as the pipeline. Scuba school, jump school, free fall school, dunker training school, survival school. The PJs learn how to parachute, climb mountains, survive in deserts, resist enemy interrogation, evade pursuit, navigate underwater at night. The schools are ruthless in their quest to weed people out. In dunker training, for example, the candidates are strapped to a simulated helicopter plunged underwater. If they manage to escape, they're plunged in upside down. If they still manage to escape, they're plunged in upside down and blindfolded. The guys who escape uh, that get to be PJs. The rest are rescued by divers waiting by the sides of the pool and they're out. Unquote. We're through with the younger there. Back to me. But many of the above mentioned drills mirror ideas and approaches found in indigenous cultures with a modern spin. But what is key to observe here is the idea that simply being able to swim isn't enough. The ability to perform under extraordinary circumstances becomes the norm for PJs. And if we look uh, to the ama and the Moken and the numerous other accounts, it is and was the norm for the species. And again, uh, this is, again, if you don't swim, it's not to throw shade to say, hey, maybe learn to swim. I'm not saying everyone should be up to PJ level. Hell, I'm not there either. But the idea is to have whatever level we're at, we can always go a little bit further, Right. Now, if we're hearing these words and we take survival and self-protection seriously, hell, if we take being a human animal seriously, one that evolved around and still huddles around water, the ability to swim, at least for recreational pleasure or to save yourself or a loved one, is the better part of wisdom. And if one spouts words of being a high-speed, low-drag warrior and a bit more, might be asked of our water skills. I mean, because if you can't swim and you got a young one plunging under, well, then you're going to be useless at that time. Much of the human legacy began around and in the water. Many of us have retreated from that legacy. Now there's a ton, again, as I said at the beginning, there's tons of material in this uh uh, aquatic prowess from uh, indigenous cultures that we can learn from. A lot of it has been uh, copped and cobbled and put into uh, current special forces sort of thing. But I'm, of course, my bailiwick is taking a look at what the indigenous folks did, and we'll, we'll drop some more of these out later on. And particularly, there's some lots of dry land drills that can even uh, allow you to grab some of this because I know in the colder months it's harder to find us a, a nice water source to help us out. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. If you'd like to see a text version of this or prowl around for some of our material on the blogs, over thousands of pages of science and history, I'll put the link on there. And of course you actually want to start putting you know while uh, your ass to grass doing this stuff uh take a look i'll put the link in there for the extreme self and the black box uh, training warehouse so you can get to work and actually do this stuff it just hear of me uh, rattle on about it take care of yourself crew